This is Calm and Cozy, episode 56. You're listening to the Calm and Cozy podcast. I'm Beth Wyatt, your insomnia, rest, and self-care coach. I'm also an artist, avid crocheter, expert napper, and occasional blogger. This podcast is full of practical advice for anyone looking for relief from insomnia symptoms, racing thoughts, and bedtime anxiety. I also cover general sleep topics, stress relief, and peaceful self-care rituals. If your life could use a little less busyness and a little more stillness, fill up your diffuser and find your coziest blanket because you're in the right place. This episode is sponsored by Endy, the great Canadian mattress. Endy is committed to changing the way Canadians sleep one mattress at a time. Save $50 off any size mattress using the coupon code SLEEPCOACH50 at endy.com. That's E-N-D-Y dot com. Today's interview is with Summer, a 32-year-old psychotherapist and globetrotter from Austin, Texas, who's living with narcolepsy and cataplexy. If you listened to my interview with Julie Flygar two episodes ago, you've most likely learned a lot about this misunderstood sleep disorder. I thought it was important for you to also hear from Summer, because every story is so different, and I wanted you to hear about her experience with early symptoms, her diagnosis, and how she navigates her career and personal life while living with an often debilitating sleep disorder, all while keeping her sense of humor. This episode contains some mature language and themes, so please don't listen with your kids in the car unless they already know all the four-letter words and you've had the birds and the bees talk. Okay, let's get started. Today, I'm excited to be talking to Summer. Uh, Summer is a sex-positive psychotherapist, and she's a person living with narcolepsy, and she has generously offered her story today, so I'm looking forward to talking to Summer. So thank you for being on my Calm and Cozy podcast. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. I'm excited to hear your story, Um, but first we want to get just like a two-minute intro into who you are and what you're doing and what you do for fun, where you, you know, where in the world you are. (laughs) Sure. I'm kind of, I always think of like ASL whenever it comes to that, and then I'm like, well, 90s kid. Um, So age, sex, location. Well, um, so like you mentioned, I'm a therapist, but I'm in Austin, Texas. Um, This is where I was born, raised, and I will probably die here, which is why I try to travel a lot to make up for it. (laughs) Um, But I do love where I live um, very much. Um, I'm 32, and um, kind of since I think my adolescence, really, by 18, I knew exactly what I wanted to do with my life. Um, So I've wanted to be in this field for ages, Um, and it all started kind of with um, the lack of sex education in Texas, and then kind of morphed into human sexuality and the science of sex and then just kind of putting it all together, um, which is why I'm a therapist today. Um, my niche in my field is uh, like BDSM and like non-monogamy. Um, so that's a good chunk of what I talk to people about. Um, but, you know, 
considering it started in the world of sex education, or I guess, again, lack thereof in Texas, thank you, Texas, um, I didn't like trivia, like sex trivia for a couple of years here in Austin, too. Um, first offering it to like um, just medical and mental health professionals through an organization, and uh, we were doing it as an icebreaker, and then just kind of brought it to the public and tried to get people to to have fun with it. So teaching them while offering them like dildos as prizes and it was like a free <laughs> trivia show <laughs> um so that was a lot of fun and yeah that's a good majority of my time goes to that and um, whenever I think of hobbies I'm like it's like filling out a tinder profile I'm like what do I do for fun and I'm just like Ugh. I'm like on like I'm like Snorlax on Xanax at this point like <laughs> Sitting on my couch is fine. Um, <laughs> so I really am all for, you know, proper rest. But outside of um, laying on my couch with my pug um, <laughs> named Severus Snape, I do like to just put everything I have in a traveling. So um, which is always interesting when you are a person with narcolepsy. <laughs> I could relate to your the comment about the Tinder profile because I'm I've been <laughs> like happily in a relationship uh, for almost 15 years and I joke that if I were ever single again my profile if I had to do an online dating profile it would look so boring it would be <laughs> I, lo I love to crochet while I watch Netflix I love to see that like, sounds amazing to me <laughs> my bird hangs Those out in my hair <laughs> yes. for hours every oh, evening goodness. while I work on my latest handmade project so anyway um it is so authentic. I love it. <laughs> I like to walk in the morning, get a coffee, and then go home. Okay. Yeah. So let's talk about narcolepsy. <laughs> yes. I can talk about that. Where do you want to start? <laughs> let's start when your symptoms started. When you when you realized there was something going on. <laughs> Those are way different for me just because I'm I fall into the, the the kind of the group of people who go over a decade without realizing they okay. were diagnosed or you know they had a diagnosis of narcolepsy. Um so whenever I first started realizing something was wrong, <clears throat> it was like my mid 20s. I was in grad school and realizing that grad school me um, couldn't do the same things that undergrad me were doing <laughs> or like did as far as like staying up until 2 in the morning working and then like you know, deciding I'm going to finish that paper in the morning and getting up at six and running on like four hours of sleep. Um, I was never a kid who did like overnighters or, you know, lived any sort of like wild college life. I was always very much a hermit and an introvert. But um, just having that kind of energy to offer myself, like being able to set the alarm that early and still get up and still do something or going to in college I worked at Best Buy going to a shift at 4 a.m like stuff that I was able to do so easily I know I'm like who was that person um and then in my mid-20s in grad school I mean I could barely stay awake um but I think I could I'm probably just misremembering that as well because Facebook memories has a great way of telling me how <laughs> every status I made back in college was like I'm so sleepy. I took a nap. Um, and then I'm like, all right. But um, the first time I think I really remember it being an issue was um, this really embarrassing story I hate to get into. Uh, but tell. I'll just say I fell asleep <laughs> during my SATs. Uh. So that was fun. I was so mortified then. And now I look back and I'm like, well, that makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> like who wants to stay in a stuffy room for hours and take, you know, a standardized test. Um. So... 
I was just like, now it's funny to me. But back then, I like didn't want to tell anyone that that happened. And like waking up at the end as everyone was getting up, everyone, you know, everyone was leaving, honestly. And I was just sitting behind like, did I write my name? Like, I don't remember how far I got. <laughs> so, um, but that being like late high school, and then, you know, a half a decade passed before I was like, something feels weird. Mm-hmm. And then a couple of years after that, that I finally actually decided to do something about it. Cause the way I was looked at it was, I don't feel like I feel re- well rested. Like anyone who felt like they missed out on some sleep, but sleeping on the weekends. And it didn't matter if I slept four hours or 12 or anywhere in between. I felt the same all the time. Mm-hmm. So that's what led me to want to figure out what was wrong. Um, And so I went from um, seeing an orthopedic specialist just for some pain in my hands that I now think I've figured out like four years later, but um, it kind of started there. And then um, I think that same year I was just, once I was like, okay, well, let's take care of why I can't like write three sentences without my hands cramping um, or just constantly feeling in pain, but also tired. So that kind of led me to go to a urologist's office um, where I did my practicum in graduate school and kind of was their like student counselor. Um, And then asking them to check my hormones. And it turned out that I had low testosterone, which I know can, you know, cause fatigue. And so I was like, this doesn't feel right because I don't hit all the, the, the symptoms. Like they asked me if I had any issues with working out. And I was like, yes, finally an answer. <laughs> like mm. why I never got better like at the couch of 5k or why I could never, you know, ride more than a certain amount of time or miles whenever I was with my husband who was a cyclist or who still is a cyclist. And so I was like, this is my excuse for that. And then they were like, well, how's your, you know, how's your desire for sex? How's your drive? And I was like, oh, that's fine. So <laughs> I was like, that's not affected at all. But I still decided to go forward with um, treatment and gave myself like at home testosterone shots, which I don't think, you know, 18 year old me could ever believe I could give myself injections. Mm. In fact, I would cry at just the thought of giving, like, getting a shot right. at the office. Um, so I did that for about six months. Um, also in that same uh, test was told um, that I could have like a borderline underactive thyroid, so I went to an, uh, like went to a doctor for that and got on medication for thyroid issues because that even runs in my family. So I figured between these two, I was going to be like sorted, and then I wasn't. So I was like, well, shit. <laughs> so I got off <laughs> the meds for those two, and then um, decided to just go to a psychiatrist instead of getting my meds through my PCP and seeing my therapist. Like you know. T- together and so um the psychiatrist and I worked for a while less than half like about half a year if that um but you know we're just trying to manage so much of just like the mental health part of it where I was like you know I've been on and off depressed but like I don't think that's really the issue I think the symptoms of depression have to do with something else um but you know she she got me to admit that I needed to get a handle on uh, my obsessive compulsive disorder because mm. I was in a lot of denial about that and then um but you know still obviously t- couldn't hide it very well um but recognizing that that was a thing helped me a lot in um I think indirectly with my narcolepsy because I actually have narcolepsy with cataplexy mm. and so the medicine I got off for my OCD controlled my cataplexy before I even knew I had it oh. so 
which was so interesting mm-hmm. to find out years later. Um, but then it was actually a client of mine who was talking about sleep issues while I was still seeing the same psychiatrist who was describing like sleep apnea, um, you know, the overnight tests and all that. And I went to my psychiatrist and I was like, do you think this could be a sleep disorder? Cause you know, this is what I've learned from one of my sessions and, um, and like what sleep disorders look like. And she was like, yeah, why not? <laughs> Just so casually and sent me to a sleep center and, I at that point was just like breaking down because I was doing all the automatic behaviors, the scariest one being like driving home from um, work, which at that point was without traffic 45 minutes away. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, trying to, it wasn't even the issue of, hey, don't fall asleep behind the wheel, but it was, how did I get from that point to that point in my journey home? Because I don't remember any of it. Mm-hmm. And so that's still, you know, scary as fuck to think about. And so mm-hmm. by the time I went to the sleep center and talked to the neurologist, I was like, I think I just started crying immediately. And then was like, I have so much to talk to you about, like 10 years. <laughs> and so I went over everything and I talked for probably 30 minutes without interruption. And then the first thing he said to me was, yeah, I'm probably like 95% sure, 98% sure um, that you have narcolepsy. And I was like, what? (laughs) So, and that was that. It was four doctors, two years, but honestly, probably 12-ish to to find out what the real issue was. Wow. Uh, Yeah, I'm one of those people. (laughs) You know what, though? It sounds like from, from what I've heard of people who were diagnosed with narcolepsy, it sounds completely understandable that it would take that long because there are so many other things that it could be. Mm-hmm. Even just, just something like depression, yes. like having trouble getting out of bed in the morning. Yeah. And I'm like, as a therapist, I was like, well, okay, we can just check off all the things in the DSM. <laughs> like, yes, I have general anxiety and OCD and I've been depressed, but like, and I was already, I had gotten on medication for the first time, like, you know, the therapist who had never been on <laughs> antidepressants, but that's so common. I think there's mm. such a stigma with wanting medication assistance. Um, but it was after I'd seen my therapist for a year and a half and the summer after graduate school, well, before I got my license, I wasn't doing anything. Like the only therapy was like talking to my dog and being like, how are you doing today? <laughs> While we still are on the couch, just like yesterday. <laughs> mm. But like that summer where I didn't really have a job um, and was just waiting to start my, my business. Um, I, I think I just kind of fell into this like transition that I wasn't comfortable with because I've just always been a student. And so I was like, you know, there's nothing for me to do now, even though I've always looked forward to this time and was like, Mm -hmm. I'm going to read every book I've bought and never finished. But, you know, my therapist finally was like, I think you're depressed and, you know, you don't need to stay on meds, but you can try to get out of the hole and we can check in in six months. And then every six month check in was like, well, that major thing happened. Maybe we'll stay stay on a bit longer. And so um, and me having worked in a urologist's office and just being in my field, like I asked for a very specific antidepressant that I knew wouldn't kind of mess with side effects that I thought were important. So, you know, sex being a really important thing that I don't think doctors ever talk about. Mm. Um and I worked at the American Cancer Society, so I was really, uh, through graduate school, and I was really passionate about that. So people would call and be like, I've been diagnosed, or I've gone through chemo, and I've, you know, but now it's like, how is this affecting me at home? Which is like, you know, my spouse and I, or my partner and I are just having issues, or don't know how to get back into the bedroom. And so, so much of, almost every medication that comes up in any appointment, I'm like, well, is this going to affect me in this way? <laughs> and mm. like, X, Y, and Z. So I, I just knew which 
which questions to ask and felt more comfortable getting on meds that helped with the motivation in the morning and just kind of the um, loss of interest and stuff, um, which I think, you know, kept me from getting diagnosed with narcolepsy another three years because it wasn't shortly after that that I saw my psychiatrist too. And so all of that together, I think I just had the wrong labels and, you know, similar symptoms and it just took so long, honestly. Right. Well, I'm glad that you finally, finally got it after four doctors in two years. That's <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, Me too. Now you had mentioned that you have cataplexy. When, how did your, how does your cataplexy show itself? Um, was that something that happened at the beginning, or? I it's hard for me to look back and to to navigate that mm. as much, um, just because. You know, unfortunately, I had a concussion two years ago, which I think kind of just accelerated all my symptoms. Mm. And one of my, uh, I think, best qualities was my uh, unforgiving memory. I just remembered every little detail. And now I barely remember anything. So as the therapist, that really, like, rocks me to my core. But um, so when I look back and think about, okay, well, what what happened over the years? Sometimes I'm just so fuzzy. I'm like, did I did I? That, did that actually happen or did I make that up and now I think that actually happened hmm. and it's really fuzzy and that happens so much now um with like hallucinating and stuff like that so um but to come back to the cataplexy directly my doctor did say that he thought I had cataplexy even before the sleep um test overnight and the naps the next day that I you know did all of because I was just like a clear case for it hmm. um and so you know he asked me if I ever felt like week in x y and z situations and you know I find myself answering I found myself answering yes but then still didn't get it or like how that worked or you know never saw it happen um when it was happening and so um I and this being the kind of I hope there is a disclaimer of you know certain things we talk about <laughs> it, it was during sex that I kind okay. of noticed it so before I was diagnosed even years before I was diagnosed I would like get off the bed to like walk and then I'd like collapse and like or I'd feel weak and I'd have to sit down and I <laughs> thought it was funny to sum it up as well it's just really good sex that's why I'm weak <laughs> in like, the knees I'm good <laughs> yes I was like that was great and so like every person probably was like thanks for the ego boost but like <laughs> like I never saw that as as cataplexy and it, it makes sense you know you lose muscle control with like intense or high like emotions so if it's like you know the the most common examples laughing and I was like that's not me um <laughs> when I'll put a pin in that but then you know if you think about sex and how good that feels unless you know you don't have good sex and then you know call me um and we'll talk about it <laughs> but I've been fortunate enough to to you know only like go after that or you know have that as my standard I'm not gonna you know sign up for anything that I'm not okay with so I always just thought it was funny rather than being like oh that's the cataplexy and now that makes so much more sense and I could put another pin in how that makes dating hard but to go back to the laughing thing it wasn't until I actually read Julie Flygar's book um, a year and a half after my diagnosis that she was describing the laughing and then like other things that never made sense to me like alcohol can affect it um 
the laughing, I read that on the plane and was like, huh. And then like the next day was helping my brother move and I was carrying like the smallest box because, you know, I'm weak. (laughs) (laughs) He was making me laugh and I saw myself kind of like, just like slumping over and I was just like um I'm can't lean on the walk and wall and walk so I was like can you stop making me laugh I'm gonna fall down and then it like clicked and I was like shit (laughs) this is what I just read about um and went to dinner with my friends that night that lived in the same city that my brother was moving to and asked them I was like do you guys ever get like weak in the knees like you know of like sink to the floor feeling whenever you're laughing like really hard and they're like no hmm. <laughs> like, oh okay so I guess that's that too you're like yeah me and neither I was just joking yeah, <laughs> yeah I was like mm, yeah everything's yeah. fine cool uh <laughs> so it was thanks to Julie honestly I tell everyone now that they need to read her book that it, it so much more just made sense joining like closed Facebook groups hmm. that um that are for people with sleep disorders that you know just like keyword searching certain things like the first thing I did after that was like go search sex <laughs> like and see what people have to say about that and then that kind of just diving into so many other things I could go off about but yeah it's now I've gotten off the medication that I was on for my OCD um my neurologist knew I was getting off of it like I even talked to him about wanting to be on less meds and that being one of the ones I was like weaning off of and he like kind of gave me input and told me like you know this is a good way to wean it and like we had a whole discussion about it and then six months later I find out at our next appointment that that was helping the cataplexy and I was like why wouldn't you tell me that when I was telling you I was getting off of it Mm -hmm. (laughs) as like you know something to consider before I do so because in that time that I got off that's when I really got bad and so um, I didn't have anything assisting with it. And I don't take Zyrum um, or any other antidepressants that help with it. And Zyrum's the, the only medication that I think really helps with people feeling well-rested because um, it, it has GHB in it, so um, which is also super scary because I don't want to roofie myself to sleep mm-hmm. when you live alone. So um, I, I keep refusing that, and I only use um, stimulants in the, in the daytime. That's it. That's interesting. Yeah. I, I think medication for me being diagnosed with anything, medication is the scariest part because, Mm -hmm. because of the side effects. And there have been different times when I've been on medications for something and I was like, I feel awful. Why do I have all these things happening to me? And I look on the, Oh, I look it up and all the side effects. I'm like, yep, 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 yep. Right down. Like (laughs) I always feel like all the side effects, I'm going to get them. And Mm -hmm that would that's scary for people because you think like well if the only answer is medication then I don't want to know but Mm -hmm. yeah there are yeah it's good to hear that there are options Um, yeah I try to ask questions with the doctors rather than look at the the like medication side effects like mm -hmm. whether it's the paper you take home from the pharmacy or getting online just because I'm like I understand that it's different for each person but that obsessive part of me that's going to go down that rabbit hole is like you don't need to think about that Mm -hmm. (laughs) um when it's not happening yet or if ever so um I I think I with having this for so long before realizing and it affected me in so many different ways I always think about it like for people who get glasses for the first time and they see how clear everything is and just being able to see the leaves on the trees. I'm like, Oh, you can feel well rested. Like you're not always tired. You know, you, you don't, um, no matter how in shape I might look, I used to joke about like, 
how I couldn't do anything physically, honestly. Like, I couldn't do a hike without needing so much rest. And mm. I would just joke about it being like, oh, I'm just an out-of-shape asthmatic. But I'm like, <laughs> like, the size I'm at and the fact that my asthma doesn't really bother me so much, it doesn't make sense. Or it didn't make sense. Now it does. Um, so uh, I think having a high tolerance for, like, pain or just, you know, headaches, which was a big thing for me throughout grad school, I, w- I was on a migraine preventative because I'd have so many migraines. And then realizing my triggers were you know, poor sleep or stress. And I was like, well, shit, like, how do I, how do I help that? So yeah, it's, it's hard for people who are really sensitive to it, like I am, but then also that high tolerance, you know, of just feeling like shit and thinking that's normal. That's a really weird balance. <laughs> I'm curious about stimulants. Why have you chosen stimulants? How are, how do they help? Do you have any side effects of those? Um, so the one I'm currently on is Ritalin. I take both the immediate and the extended. Never considered Adderall. My doctor doesn't like it. Said Mm -hmm. that he didn't care for the side effects. Um, you know, that could be heart related if I had any issues with my heart. Mm -hmm. Um, so I was like, all right, well, you know, I've, I know that there's something that's not 100% with the ticker, but you know, it's not an issue. I've, I've, um, I think I got diagnosed with a murmur before, and I don't even know if he knew that when he said it or if he just is anti-Adderall. So I went straight to Ritalin for that. But I had tried modafinil and Nuvigil um, before it, and they didn't work out. Um, one is a funnier story than the other. <laughs> so, um, But the Ritalin is the one I've been on the longest. I've now been on it for almost a year and a half, and I think I'm finally at a dosage that works for me, but it's so much like it's I'm on the immediate and the extended I take them twice a day I take kind of I think over the legal dose at this point um and I could still take a nap after it Mm. so it's it's funny like that where it'll help but then you know if I want to even take the meds and take a a nap I can so okay I don't know it's interesting it's the only time I've been able to wake up on my own though which is such a boost to self-esteem at the same time because I, I was married for 10 years, so I had someone who would help me wake up in the mornings if I couldn't, which was a big part of, you know, the symptoms I was experiencing before diagnosis. I was ha- having a lot of sleep paralysis, hmm. and I always summed it up to, oh, well, I'm so exhausted, of course I can't get up in the mornings. I mean, that was kind of just graduate school and the beginning of private practice for me. And then that was really frustrating for someone who would hear, you know, my alarm go off at 5 a.m. forever and then, like, try to wake me up and then I still couldn't get up and then, like, they'd get up and I'd still be in bed, like, just feeling frozen and, like, you know, so that was scary, but it really caused a lot of um, resentment when neither one of us understood what was happening, so that kind of sucked. <laughs> but, um, you know, once I, uh, my husband and I separated amicably, um I started living alone for the first time, you know, in like 11 years. And that was so difficult. I have, you know, an alarm that's specifically made for people that are hard of hearing or deaf. Like it'll shake my bed. It Mm -hmm. sounds like a fire alarm. There's lights. I mean, I could sleep through that. I slept with 10 iPhone alarms, you know, the classic alarms that have like little bells on the side that shake. I had two of those, you know, that I'd hide around my room and I'd fall asleep 
so easily after like turning them off and not even remembering that I've done it. Um, so when I first moved out and I was trying to um, <laughs> manage being on my own, mm-hmm. starting with waking up in the morning, uh, one of my best friends would call me in the morning after all of that to just make sure that they did indeed wake me up. And so they had like a, her kids and her would call me and it'd be like call auntie summer on the way to school in the morning <laughs> and that really helped um until I got on the Ritalin and then that was the first time I didn't need anyone to check in on me it was it was such a boost honestly oh, wow I yeah never, yeah what an experience to not be able to get out of bed mm-hmm. um, yeah I would set my alarms as early as five thirty, which was the same when I worked you know almost an hour 45 minutes to an hour away now I work five minutes from my office and I give myself still that much time like two to three hours to just get out of bed and like be awake and alert and functioning you mentioned sleep paralysis is Mm -hmm. sleep paralysis always scary because I watched that haunting of hill house which I have to say is something I've never (laughs) I never watched scary stuff I watched it a movie or a show oh my gosh it's a series um, oh god and yeah I can't do scary <laughs> one of the one of the main characters has uh, sleep paralysis and hallucinations and when she's waking up she sees this horrible like this scary figure above her bed and I have to say that's not the part that scared me the most there was other stuff um, but yeah w- anyone who's watched that show knows about this the sleep paralysis scenes and how scary there were and it just seems like when you can't move or you can't wake yourself up It's never like you see puppies and rainbows, like a puppy comes up on your bed and is licking your face. It's always something scary. (laughs) Was your experience always like negative? Yeah. Scary? Yeah. Yeah. I was always panicked. So when I remember the sleep paralysis with my husband and like, I feel like before, whenever it wasn't as bad, like his like annoyed tone would, Mm. you know, startle me up and Mm. I'd be like, I'm awake now. Mm. Cool. Yeah. And then like, but it was, I felt panicked feeling like trapped and like not being able to wake up whenever that annoyed tone co- continued and I don't blame him 5 a.m alarms that go on for like half an hour to an hour were frustrating absolutely but it like just feeling like I couldn't like that was one there was one I remember that was actually at a conference I'm not going to talk about which training because I paid a lot of money for it <laughs> and then I'm pretty sure I slept through most of it but I sat next to someone who I was like I'm drinking like four cups of coffee, which I don't know, you know, if that really actually does anything. But if you see me falling asleep, like, just poke me. Like, I knew that that was a thing for me because I would fall asleep in meetings like American Cancer Society Bless. Like, they were so great to me. Um, (laughs) So I um, said that to the person sitting next to me and they would wake me up. But there was one time that I remember being like, I would be listening to the presenter. I was writing notes. But then I felt like I couldn't open my eyes. Like I thought they were open, but they clearly weren't. Hmm. And I don't know if anyone else has done this before. I always say it. And then like, I think the person who I'm talking to is like, what do you do in your free time? (laughs) But like, have you ever put up like a light up to your eyelids when they're closed? Like just kind of the, it's just like so coral pink looking, you know, like Hmm. if you're just, if you see what your eyelids look like with the Mm -hmm. light. So now if anyone's listening to that, they can go home and do it. Um, (laughs) I'm doing it right now. (laughs) (laughs) That's what it felt like. I felt like I, like my eyelids were like sewn shut and I was awake and I was hearing him say 
you know, everything, but I couldn't see what I was writing, but I knew I was writing in that automatic behavior. And so, and then like when I was actually really awake, um, I looked down at my notes and it was just like notes, 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 scribble and off the page. And I was like, oh, okay. So that was one of the, like the weird, like, I don't think this is normal outside of my bedroom. And the uh, point about the puppies is right on because I don't have anything that's like fun. The first time I actually had, um, I hallucinated, like not in my bed, but I had fallen asleep on the couch, which is what, you know, single life is like. Um, And then like was relocating to my bed. And my bedroom is at the end of my apartment and I have a second bedroom slash office um, that you pass before it. And I like looked into the doorway of that off, uh, like of that room in the office, like as I was walking to my bedroom and it wasn't pitch black. I have like, you know, fairy Christmas light style stuff in my bedroom that I, that was on. So I could see some light at the end of the hall. But when I looked in the doorway, um, obviously I was hallucinating, but I saw creature like the... L, like the uh, house elf from Harry Potter. Okay. I don't know if you know or if you're familiar with creature. Out of all the house elves, like the meanest, like one, of course. Of course. So I was like, I was like, you're the reason my favorite character is dead. Um, oh. so, but I saw that and I was like, that's not normal. And like, looked at my phone to see what time it was and what day it was and check that with myself. Like, um, and then like looked back at it and I was like, I'm just gonna go. <laughs> like, oh. just kept walking got in bed and was like pretend that didn't happen so um and I've heard about people feeling there are like paranormal things happening around them Hmm. and so like having to balance that with like you're okay (laughs) Hmm. you know and like nothing bad's gonna happen to like is this part of like the narcolepsy and then honestly my own like deep-rooted fear is that I have a family history of schizophrenia so I was like okay like is this hallucinating because I am now like, you know, on the path to being diagnosed with that? Mm -hmm. Or is this the narcolepsy? Or should I ever really deny there's paranormal activity and like, you know, don't see a creepy girl at the end of the hallway that's now haunting me? Like, it's, it's a weird balance that kept me awake a lot when this when it first started. Yeah, that would be terrifying. (laughs) Yeah. I also don't like anything scary. Like the stranger was pushing it (laughs) (laughs) yeah don't watch haunting of hill house then i've experienced i guess it would be like a hallucination when i nap for too long and i Mm -hmm. i haven't had this happen in a long time because i always set an alarm when i nap so that it doesn't happen but if i go i would say like over over an hour if i just let myself sleep for as long as i want to and it's always, mm-hmm. it never happens like at night or in the morning. It's always if I'm napping during the day and it's, I've slept too long and I'm trying to wake up and I think that I have, and I'm in my bed. It looks like my room. And then there's creature, like there's a creature, or there's an animal or something comes into my room and mm. I keep trying to wait. I keep waking myself up thinking I'm awake and then having the same experience. Like something comes into my room and scares me and I'm try to wake myself up again it just happens repeatedly and so you're having like like hallucinating but like also like it's like sleep inception (laughs) (laughs) i think you're awake but you're not awake i think it's real and it's like thank god it wasn't because that thing shouldn't be in my room right now Um, so yeah i just have to like i i can't people say oh i have a nap i can sleep for two hours like well i can too but i don't let 
I don't let myself because it gets creepy. Yeah, so. no, I, that's why I don't, I it, like similar to that, but it's, um, also, I don't know if you've seen the, I'm a big fan of memes. They joke about memes being my love language with my <laughs> clients. Cause I'm like, well, isn't this relatable? And then like show them what's, <laughs> what, I'm, what I read, you know, saw recently. Um, but there was one going around about nap roulette and they're okay. like, you know, it's something about how it's difficult to, or it's like challenging or difficult or, you know, interesting to, to nap because it's like nap roulette. You don't know if it's for that 20 minutes or for two hours <laughs> or if it's now 6 p.m day and that's so real to me so I want to be able to wake up from a nap that I, I mo- more than likely overslept from um and then be okay with my myself and not mm. let that upset me because we really don't need to look at like productivity is like you know correlating that to like our self-worth and I did that so much in grad school when I couldn't wake up from my naps like I used to have you been given any really silly advice from friends or family (laughs) like I would say maybe before your before your diagnosis when you knew something was going on the silly things that people would say like you know like oh you should just try try spraying lavender on your pillow you know like those kind of (laughs) they're like thanks hadn't thought of that right yeah (laughs) I'm like all right like I mean the obsessive part of me that has like the (laughs) hidden mental like compulsion Mm-hmm. I am all over that research. So, you know, before the diagnosis, I was already like getting new bedding and like mm-hmm. setting the temperature lower and getting sound machine. I mean, like any sleep like tip that you could think of, I was already all over. And then after the diagnosis, I I don't update my Facebook a lot and I've got like 500 social media pages. I, I hardly update anymore. But when I used to um, occasionally like pipe in to share something, it would be a really personal status that was either like related to something mental health or, you know, narcolepsy or migraines or something. And so um, sometimes I really enjoyed doing that just because I saw that that vulnerability not only helped me process, but it helped others sometimes and like I would have people that maybe I hadn't seen in years or barely even talked to or knew really message me and be like that was really helpful and helping me process this that's going on with me and I was mm-hmm. awesome like you know if it can help one person that's great but then you did have the people who like would comment be like have you tried keto and I'm like does that help me grow back neurotransmitters I don't have anymore because that's really the problem and now I just get sassy with it because I'm just like if I can think, like, think quick enough, like, mm. I'm, I'm not gonna, like, placate or, like, you know, be like, okay, I'll try that. Like, no, I'm not <laughs> gonna try that. It's pointless. And so I get that that can help with, like, I'm a big fan of the spoon theory. It's been the most helpful way for me to describe anything to my friends and family. Um, I take that back, just my friends, my family, and I don't talk about this a lot. Um, <laughs> but, you know, even my clients, like I, I now tell clients that, you know, we're signing up to do therapy with me. If we go through that first session and decide we want to work together, I'm like, all right, first, I curse a lot. FYI, if that bothers you, this isn't going to work. And second, <laughs> I have narcolepsy. So if you think that me being late, like under 10 minutes, like somewhere between, you know, a minute to 10 minutes is bad. Well, then that's like great for me. <laughs> like <laughs> I'm like super excited if I'm only running 10 minutes late. So um, five minutes is just like being on time. Um, and so, and it's that like authenticity has been really helpful. Um, and I think not frustrating more people in my life who didn't know what was going on before and just now being forthright with it. And so now I, I'm really honest about everything. I'm not going to, you know, I think there's the idea of like, well, appropriate, 
you know, for the appropriate audience and stuff like that. But, um, you know, like joking about whether or not I talk about, you know, a certain topics in public, that's just not even a thing for me anymore. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, yeah. Can you explain the spoon theory? Sure. Um, I wish I could think of the person who came up with it so I could give proper credit. (laughs) But um, the spoon theory is a great way to explain to someone who doesn't have any sort of, um, you know, disorder or chronic illness or, you know, anything, um, what kind of your energy level is how I look at it looks like. So, um, you know, if there's, and if you Google it, you'll see tons of memes. I've got like three on my phone already, but... (laughs) Um, that kind of shows like what your day looks like with the spin theory. But if you have, um, say someone who doesn't have anything that they struggle with has 20 spoons and that's like the normal amount of spoons you start with every single day. And I say normal very casually cause there's no such thing as normal. <laughs> like that's a setting on a dryer. But, <laughs> um, so but they have 20 spoons when they start, you know, because I have a chronic illness, I might start my day with five, but, or, you know, 17 or whatever it might be. It's just the fact that I start every day with less, like, and then, you know, for anyone, you know, the 20 person or the 15 person spoon, um, or spoon person, (laughs) um, it would be like, you take away a spoon. If you didn't sleep well that night, you take away a spoon from the start of your day. Um, if you didn't, if you forgot your meds or forgot a meal, if you're ill, they say, you know, you definitely take away more than one (laughs) before you start your day. And so when you're going forward in your day and you're thinking about all the things you have to do, depending on what's going on in your life, getting out of bed could be one spoon for you, but maybe two for me if I'm also feeling, you know, kind of depressed about something, right? You know, outside of just having narcolepsy. Bathing might be two spoons for me because I have blue hair and it looks like a Smurf dyed in my bathtub. <laughs> so there's no such thing as a quick shower because it just takes time to make sure, like, not only do I look good, but my bathtub looks good <laughs> when I get out. So, um, but driving could be now just one spoon because I live five minutes from my work, but it used to be three. You know, so it's just the idea that, like, it can take anywhere between one and four spoons for every activity you do, even things as simple as getting dressed or socializing, being on your phone, and the emotional labor that might take, depending on what you look at. So, like, I don't look at the news anymore, specifically because it was too draining. And then going to the end of your day, and when you go to bed, you're like, did I use every spoon? Am I negative now? Or do I still have three left? Like, that being a really important piece, because if you're negative, you start negative the next day. And, like, when do you catch up? So um, I could plan to come to your birthday party, but by two o'clock, I might be out of spoons earlier than I expected. (laughs) And like, I'm not going to be ashamed of telling you that I'm going to take a nap instead. (laughs) So (laughs) your birthday can't be completely revolving around me. And like, just the social expectation of like, I can't disappoint people. I'll look like a flag. I'm like, I'd rather you tell me that you want to hang out with someone else or stay home or you know, just avoid my party or, you know, anything, um, if it means it's better for you. So if anyone doesn't understand that in my life, um, they don't even exist. <laughs> like I don't have people who don't, don't get it just cause I don't waste my time, um, with people who aren't more compassionate even, or at least curious enough to be compassionate when they don't get it personally. Yeah. And it's like, so, it's so freeing when you realize like, that's what I'm like. And or saying no, like I can say no to something that people are like, hey, we're having this party and, and I say, thank you for inviting me, but that sounds like something that I would not enjoy. And then we <laughs> laugh and then and they're like, okay, well, thanks for your honesty. 
or my family knows that I nap. Like if if I'm invited to something that's all afternoon, you better have a bed somewhere for me to go have my <laughs> nap because I'm going to need it. We recently had a baby shower that we went to in the family and I was looking forward to that. It's not like I didn't want to go. I was really looking forward to it. Everyone I loved <laughs> from the family was going to be there and I was texting with one of the women who was organizing it and before I could even say it she said we will have a place for you to have your nap you know and I just laughed I laughed out loud because I said wow you sure know me and I said thank you so much I didn't even have to ask so that's amazing it's that's so nice though like I love (laughs) that it was a baby shower because I have friends who do that for like the kinky stuff that I'm involved in. And I'm like, yeah, great. I appreciate you're having a kink party like across town, but like driving at night sucks. And mm. even if I'm not tired on my way there, I'm going to get tired at the party and I'm going to be exhausted and having to call someone to stay awake on the way home. And like, that's scary to me. So mm. whether I drive across town for that party and they offer that I like, they're like, you can always crash mm. or even someone who I know who's going to be at the party will be like, okay, well, I'm, I'm only 10 minutes away from this place. So you're more than welcome to sleep there. And mm. having a friend who like one of my best friends that I have a key to her house, like I've left, you know, one part of town and like gone to her place just to sleep there to be able to drive home in the morning. <laughs> and like, that's really nice. Yeah. I like, that's where I can see, you know, we don't have to be but you get it because you know you're willing to like accept me for who I am as we get to know each other we you know our acquaintances or whatever Mm. which is really nice yeah it's so nice when someone can go hey I understand that this is an issue for you and I'll help any way I can instead of oh you're not gonna need to do that are you or you know yeah so volunteering for stuff is always the hardest for me because I want to volunteer and not in the like I'm a good person way like soup kitchen style sometimes (laughs) it's just like volunteering for shows I'd like to do both whatever but you know there's something that I know that they have to rely on me on and then being like I'm sorry I'm running late I couldn't drive right away like my cataplexy now like if I feel stressed about going to this event that I know I need to be on time for and that stress kicks in the cataplexy, which makes me feel too weak to drive. And then I'm like, well, that was just like a fun self-sabotage mm-hmm. that I wasn't aware of. Like, And that's just kind of the, the hardest thing, I think, to deal with with all of this. It's not even like people making, you know, m- m- comments that are microaggressions in any way or not being understanding or just trying to balance like rest and like life or just the idea of like surviving versus living Hmm. um which was a big chunk of my last year or so after surgery but it's honestly just being like can I have fun and know that my body won't like pay for it severely and how do I guess on which day that's going to be the case Hmm. so that's that's what relates back to dating which I think I put a pin in too it's like you know you think about how people date and how they like get to know each other and how they become more you know intimate and it's like yeah I I don't like the idea of like falling asleep on you and then Hmm. like not knowing what I've consented to because I might look coherent but I'm not you know like that kind of stuff is really difficult and I don't think people talk about that enough and you know in this world um, of sleep disorders like what does it look like because I see it on support groups um, you know when someone who's been married is like, yeah, I found out that I had sex last night and my partner said I consented and I don't remember, but how can I blame them? You know, and that's 
terrifying to me now as someone who tries to navigate, you know, not married anymore. (laughs) So I'd love to get some advice from you for people who are in the beginning stages of figuring out what's going on. I think that it's scary when people have to talk to a doctor about something because they don't want to be told that it's nothing or that they're being Mm -hmm. silly or they're, you know. I think that one tip I learned from the Cancer Society is to write your stuff down. Mm. So like kind of go in knowing what you want to talk about because if you let the doctor lead these like appointment, I mean, that, that could be over in less than, you know, you could be anywhere five to 10, 15 minutes. And like, you didn't get any of your questions asked or anything answered just because they're the ones who are talking the entire time mm-hmm. being a therapist and like listening all day. <laughs> I have gotten better about speaking up in that world. Um, but it doesn't mean that I don't get thrown off. Like I mentioned that I always ask about all side effects. I mean, I was at the allergist and he was like giving me something and I was like, is that going affect my sex drive (laughs) and he was like it's um small steroid I'm like still everything I don't know like just tell me what I need to be aware of but I've had doctors argue with me too so it's just I think it's the idea that like you can't avoid it Mm. so whenever I tell people like oh don't be afraid of being judged because you're gonna be judged anyways so you might as well do what you want like that kind of applies to doctor's appointments and then you know I have a friend I have one friend who's been diagnosed with narcolepsy um, and that was in the last year and it was because of my statuses that made them go okay there's been a bunch of stuff wrong I don't know what it is but I wonder if this is like something to think about and then it turns out that they also had narcolepsy but their cataplexy was so mild compared to my severe ones so or severe attacks that they didn't think that was also a thing for them and it is so you know just being able to put yourself out there if you feel comfortable letting other people take that for what it's worth just like you know that happened with me with my client but um going to the doctor's office and knowing that you are the only person who can advocate for yourself one doctor was insisting that the pain in my hands was uh, arthritis after I went to the orthopedic specialist and that was one of the you know things that I hopped around with you know and insisted on putting me on a medication that I hated mm-hmm. and was like this is the only way we can really diagnose you and I was like it's not that I had bad side effects from the meds I just didn't like them because they were steroids and mm-hmm. I've taken them before and, you know, we argued the entire hour I was in there. I was like, what if I was allergic? What else would you give me? Because I'm not taking it. And it, mm-hmm. I ended up caving and took it and then ended up having a manic episode because it interacted with my men. Mm-hmm. So, like, that kind of stuff. I'm like, I should have just listened to what I wanted to do and fired him when I, like, when he wasn't willing to listen to me. I fired my psychiatrist who told me I wasn't trying hard enough after my diagnosis I was like I'm sorry what so um, I was like I'm actively in therapy I'm like talking to so many doctors you're telling me I'm not trying hard enough and I tell you that I'm still like struggling like that sucks you're like I'm here Uh, aren't I (laughs) yeah like wait so you're telling me that like I don't know what I need um so I I've gotten to a point where I'll like and I hate to call them out on this but my neurologist argued with me about getting back on the OCD medications um like that medication that I was on was Prestique and that is what helped the OCD and with the cataplexy I got off of it that six-month appointment I mentioned earlier about like coming back to that and realizing that was what helped my cataplexy I was like well I need to know what else I can do and he told me my options and I was like I just got off of one of those and he was like yeah 
And I was like, but I don't want to get back on. And that entire appointment was, was us just arguing back and forth whenever he was suggesting other antidepressants that could help. And I was like, I know what those are. I'm not okay with any of them. And I like my sexuality and my drive and my desire and all of that. And those are like, I've even tried those for like a week or something. And when I was trying to find, you know, the right meds and I'm not okay with that. And he was like, is your, you know, if you, if you're thinking about that, you know, sex specifically, he was like, what's more important to you? What, what's your quality of life? Is it going to be sleep or is it going to be sex? And my response to that was, would you have asked a man that to pick between the two? <laughs> and I, I was like, fuck off. <laughs> so Can I have I both? <laughs> yeah. I was like, you know, you're not fixing the sleep disorder. You're trying to help me with it. Like there mm-hmm. is no cure. So are you going to tell me that in order to have even like remotely better, like sleep quality and like quality, like quality of life you know because he was also pushing the xyrum at that point like i think he was just as frustrated as i was because we just didn't have a solution because i was like i'm not getting on anything new but i need help (laughs) so but you know that was me also not knowing if there were any other options and so the only ones he was pushing on me were the ones that i had already said no to and then just standing up for what i wanted no matter what you know and that's still difficult and so I think people just need to, to be aware that you can't avoid that. I'm not saying that you have to push through it because that's up to them. But I do think that if we stood up for more, like if, if you actually have a thought that's like, ooh, I don't know about that, then like say that out loud. Right. And that's like with all conflict, though. <laughs> Something makes me uncomfortable. I'll be like, I don't know what you meant by that. Please explain again. <laughs> so, yeah. Thank you so much for all of this. This has been really interesting. Um, I really enjoyed it and I think people are really going to like it, but I want to make sure that, that people can connect with you, that people know how to contact you. Um, whether, whether Mm -hmm. it's about, you know, what we've been talking about or whether it's about your business, um, with your, um, the sex positive psychotherapy. Hmm. Well, thank you. Um, I'm not going to spell out my last name so one understands what how to email me because that's just 10 letters too long. Um, but, you, like, I have the contact button on my website, which is a lot easier, mm-hmm. um, and that's Austin Intimate Matters with the S at the end, um, dot com, so Austin Intimate Matters. Um, and I think that if you just want to follow some funny memes, <laughs> Instagram is always going to be the next one. I If I ever invest any time on social media, I try mm-hmm. to keep up with my work Instagram and try to just upload relatable things anywhere between, you know, like stuff that has to do with sex or relationships or, you know, anxiety all the way to like being a spoonie and narcolepsy. Cause I'm, I'm so open with it now um, mm-hmm. and have no problem with hiding any, any part of me. So if I ever run for president, all my stuff's out there. So that's good. <laughs> There's going to be no surprises. <laughs> exactly. So my Instagram handle is intimate matters. Austin couldn't fit it. <laughs> it just character limits. <laughs> intimate matters with no spaces. Okay. Was there anything that you were hoping to talk about? You were hoping I would ask that I didn't? I'm actually looking over some of the notes <laughs> that I made for myself prior to this to make sure I stay on task. And I was like, did I get, a, you know, did I get everything? Well, um, I don't want you to hang up and then go, oh, I forgot to tell my favorite story. Or... 
No, No. I think the the thing uh, that I wanted to mention is uh, kind of the things that I still struggle with, which is like, I, I now walk with a cane for the cataplexy, never Mm. occurred to me to do something like that until a friend suggested it. And then of course, I get online and see, you know, does anybody else do that? And they do. Mm. So like, just, I think it's the exposure of things that like, I wouldn't have thought of this until this person told me. And the two things that came up for me this year since having a surgery that basically was supposed to be a two week recovery then was like a two month recovery because of this. Um, just cause don't, don't get surgery if you don't respond to pain meds. It's a really bad idea. Mm. <laughs> so, um, but, you know, getting a cane after that and realizing that that really actually helped me get out of the house more. Cause I was so worried about, you know, being able to, to take care of myself, especially, you know, standing upright. Um, mm. and then that even leading to another person in my life, talking about like permits and because I was always just conflicted about driving I was like I don't how many times am I going to pay for a ride share and even if I am comfortable driving how far am I going to park you know living kind of near downtown Austin so and then just kind of letting that take a toll on my social life but then being like well it's just the spoons and I'm like yeah it might be the you know the fucking spoons but like <laughs> also, like you I I I know. How dare I? Uh, so, but it's also the like you know I qualify for one of the like parking like permits and placards mm. and you know accessible you know parking whatever people want to call it. I honestly need to still think about my language there, which is why I'm going to give you six different ways to call it. But like and not feeling shame there. Mm. You know, first it was like, oh, I'll only use this if you know there's a couple open spaces or if I can't find parking. And then I'm like, you know, it's you know, with other chronic illnesses, when people get this, it's not always a mobility thing. Sometimes it's a pain thing. Sometimes mm-hmm. it is an energy thing and to conserve it the best way you can and then not feeling shame when I do park in those spots and realizing that does help my quality of life. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Still thinking about quality of life, doctor. <laughs> um, and so, and then not letting friends make snide remarks. Like I had someone say something like, oh, I didn't realize you're also an old lady now, like referring to the fact that they had a cough people all like 20 30 years older than me as well at this conference last weekend that were using canes and I was just like not so much an old lady thing as it is like a cognitive slash mobility thing thank you though and like walked off um or a friend asking me how I pulled off getting the permit and I was like that's a whole application process I don't know if anyone understands how that works but you have to have a prescription and so I think my response like oh yeah I tricked my doctor into writing a prescription thanks <laughs> so, so that is just you know let people help you in the ways that I was helped by getting those suggestions that were helpful and telling the others to fuck off <laughs> so that's when they're not. Um, and yeah I think that one day I will hopefully stop just writing and not posting about all of this and like have a blog or if anyone in Austin has heard of or needs to go to because they haven't until this point, Bedpost mm-hmm. Confessions is a storytelling show. Um, and I've I've written a couple things that I hopefully will one day perform, but it sounds so mm-hmm. overstimulating and it feels so overwhelming that I'm like, I'll probably need a chair on the stage mm-hmm. <laughs> and being okay with that too, you know? So, um, yeah, mm-hmm. I, I hope that was helpful. I, I think that's everything I honestly wanted to say. And if not... We can always talk another time, I suppose. Yeah, we can have <laughs> so, a follow-up. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Not so much you, like, and, well, I'm happy to do that, too. But, like, you or anyone else who wants to talk to me outside of this. But mm. um, also, if I've already talked to those people and we're talking more, I'm, I may not remember them, and that 
should be okay too. <laughs> so it takes me like six introductions for me to remember someone at this point. <laughs> but yeah, I'm always happy to talk about this. Well, thank you so much. It's been, this yeah. has been great. This has been the Calm and Cozy Podcast. Thank you as always for listening, my beautiful bedtime thinkers. Until next time, sleep well and stay cozy. And to my mom who listens to my podcast every night as she falls asleep. Good night, mama.